Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2246 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing the messages I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This is the ninth of 25 messages in our series covering the book of Hebrews. This message is titled, The Perils of Failing to Thrive. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Last week we continued our extended series in the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament. Last week we learned how God's Son is also our great high priest. And we cross-referenced a verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. And in our message today, we're going to see that God encourages us. No, he expects us to thrive as believers, not just barely getting by. Instead, he warns us of the peril of failing to thrive. Now, parents and doctors begin monitoring our physical, our mental, and our emotional growth from the time that we're born. Our advancement is measured against and compared to other people. And our parents and doctors will become worried if we lag behind in any area. How do we measure spiritual growth, though? What happens when we lag in our spiritual progress? Who's there to size us up spiritually and say and tell us to grow up when we need to? The Bible tells us much about spiritual growth in 1 Corinthians 14, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 2. We come up when God's spiritual family through faith, through a spiritual birth, as told in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. From there, we grow spiritually, and we're nourished by God's word. From the simple doctrines and the practices of faith to more advanced knowledge and skills in spiritual things, as we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. As we continue to grow, exercising our spiritual gifts and being strengthened in the community, such as our church here, by the Spirit within us, we advance towards spiritual maturity, as described in Ephesians chapter 4. But just like natural growth, our spiritual growth can become stunted. We may partake in the wrong spiritual food or neglect the spiritual sustenance altogether. We may stumble backwards into childish attitudes and actions, undoing the maturity that we once achieved. We may wallow in spiritual infancy because there's no one around to guide us into spiritual maturity. All these are examples of failing to thrive. And it's a problem the author of Hebrews is dealing with as he addresses these Jewish Christians in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 8. Let's look at that passage in chapter 5 first, verses 11 through 14. And it's one that sets a tone of disappointment with these believers. And let me read this. It's on page 1867 of your pew Bible, chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by the time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. 
though the author says that he has much to explain concerning Jesus. In verse 10, last week in chapter 5, it says, he designated, designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Still the readers, in verse 11 it says, you no longer try to understand. In the New Living Translation it says, you are spiritually dull. Think about a bored, unambitious teenager sitting on the couch. And you've told him over and over again to get up and get your chores done. It's a trait of immaturity and irresponsibility. But what causes that kind of dullness? If you look at your bulletin insert on the side, it says, the peril of failing to thrive. We want to look at what causes failure to thrive and what causes us to become spiritually dull. Well, I have two points here that attributes to that. The first one is we become dull because we fail to grow up as we grow older. Now, having great hair, as I do, wrinkles, and grandchildren doesn't necessarily bring on the knowledge of wisdom. The point is clear. Older doesn't necessarily mean wiser or spiritually more mature. Now, age should indicate spiritual maturity, as the author of Hebrew admits in verse 12. By this time, you ought to be teachers. But in too many cases, people fail to grow up as they grow older. And the second purpose is we become dull because our bad habits prevent healthy development. Now look carefully at spiritual habits that are cultivated in this audience of Hebrews. They have become dead, dead ends to the doctrine rather than conduits of spiritual nourishment to others. They continue to students rather than growing into teachers. They had developed the bad habit of taking in food without sharing it with others. They preferred milk over solid food, just like an infant would, it says in verse 13. Also in verse 13, it says the phrase, not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness or right living. It characterizes an inexperienced or a new Christian. Yet, just as a baby is unskilled in thinking and acting and speaking in grown-up ways, immature believers continue to dwell on the ABCs of their Christian faith. The authors of Hebrews says in verse 12, they needed to relearn the elementary truths of God's word. And in verse 13 in the New Living Translation, it describes it this way, still an infant that doesn't know how to do right from wrong. You must gradually grow in your solid biblical teaching to mature as a believer. In verse 14, it says to distinguish between right and wrong, between good and evil. However, the audience in the letter of Hebrews is far from exhibiting these signs of spiritual maturity. Not only were they not able to keep up with his advanced teaching and discussion about Melchizedek, they were also lazy and wanted to go back to audit Christianity 101 over and over again. They just focused on those elementary truths and not growing spiritually. The spiritual immaturity threatened other aspects of their Christian life. Their inability to withstand trials, to resist temptation, and then to persevere through all sorts of hardship. They were so close of getting so dull of hearing of the dangers that they were straying off the path of spiritual growth. And they were close to falling under the disciplining hand of God. As we move into chapter 6, in light of the Hebrew Christians' disappointing 
spiritual progress, it was a dangerous description that was described in chapter 5. The author of Hebrews transitions into verse chapter 6 to the book's third and probably the most, war most well-known warning passage. The third warning is, don't stray from the path of spiritual growth. As we'll see in this warning in chapter 5, verse 11, it continues into most of chapter 6. It is one of the hardest warnings to hear and contains some of the most difficult, disputed, and controversial verses in all of Scripture. But let's read chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying down again the foundation of repentance from the acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions on cleansing rites and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead to an eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. However, as we remember the larger context of the group of Christians who failed to thrive in their spiritual growth, who have grown dull in hearing and they were wallowing in immaturity, we can begin to untie this knot in this challenging passage. Through the chapter, we see a break here between chapter 5 and chapter 6, but remember that chapter breaks are not part of the original transcripts. They were inserted later to help us to better break it down and understand it. But the flow goes from chapter 5 to chapter 6. It was a failure to grow spiritually. We still know the ABC song, don't we? Most of us teach our children or grandchildren A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, N, X, Y, Z. Now I've said my ABCs, won't you join and sing with me? But do we continue that song as we go off into college? Or into the workplace, do we walk around singing the ABC song once again? Well, we should not. The re this recipients of Hebrews failed to grow in those fundamentals of their Christian's faith and life. And they repeated that ABCs of their Christian faith over and over again. It's a Christianity 101. In essence, they were re crucifying the Lord Jesus repeatedly never moving beyond those basic facts of a Christian life. This non-growth is why the warning is so severe in verses 4 through 6. We see in the first two verses of chapter 6, the recipients of the letters of Hebrews seem to be satisfied or stuck knowing the basic elements of the believer, the salvation, the baptism, the final resurrection. But they seem not, and they seem to grasp what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that God saved you by his grace when you believed, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you have done, so none of us can boast. But they never moved beyond and matured into Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. The verse that follows that. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he had planned for us long ago. They were just stuck with the basics of Christian life and never growing in love and fellowship with each other. They learned the essential teachings about the foundations of the Christian life, but that's just the beginning. Those who continue to focus only on what they were saved from and neglect the holiness of what they were saved for and to do to build God's kingdom, 
The spiritually immature seems to never grow out of that conversation of their own conversion experience. <clears throat> it's a type where you'll see that they get saved over and over again. Or they pray the sinner's prayer over and over again. Or they go up to altar call over and over again, never growing on, growing on beyond that first step. But the author's point is clear. If we get hung up on these basic experiences, these practices, these doctrines related to just the foundations of our Christian faith, we're not going to graduate into higher levels of spiritual maturity. Instead, we need to move beyond the basics, as it says in verse 1 of chapter 6, to be taken forward in maturity. The author is hopeful that, that with God's help, that they will press on. As verse 3 says, and God permitting, we will do so. But it reminds us that even our spiritual growth depends on God's provision for us. He and he alone can help us to grow in maturity, from infancy to maturity. But we have to be willing, and we have to be ready to grow. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 3 serves as a transition. It's a forward look for the confidence and the ability to move into maturity with God's help. However, God permitting in verse 3 does suggest that there are cases where God will not permit it because we have not, are not ready or we're unwilling to grow in our spiritual walk. Let's read verses 4 through 8 of chapter 6. It says, It is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted that heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. And there's two verses that Sue focused on. The land drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that it produces a crop useful for those to whom it is farmed, receiving the blessings of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. These are hard passages. There's a lot of conflict and controversy on what this, these three verses really mean. Well, the first point in verse 4, the author discusses the central problem that a believer's life, if they would keep on wallowing in their spiritual immaturity, but the author does bring us hope in explaining the obstacles that would inhibit or hinder spiritual growth. There was hope because in the current state, of becoming slow to hearing and sluggish in their learning, in their response to spiritual things, they faced a real danger of sliding even farther backward into an irreversible condition. If they're stuck in the perpetual turmoil of never receiving God's rest. If you remember in chapter 4, we talked about God's rest. By not maturing, believers were like those Israelites on the other side of the Jordan looking across and saying, Oh, that promised land, but they were too afraid to cross the Jordan into that land of abundance that God has promised them, that land of blessing that God has promised them. The second point is we need to understand that before walking into this dark and ominous woods of this stern warning of verses 4 through 6, it's an essential observation of verses 7 and 8. It all ties together. But the older I get, the more I'm convinced that the spiritual laws of planting and harvesting is just as strong, if not stronger, than the law of gravity. Under the right conditions, you can escape the law of gravity, but there's no way to escape the law of planting and harvesting. 
What you harvest is dependent on what you plant. Now, I have two examples like Sue did, very similar. I have a beautiful plant, planter of begonias here. And another planter, I'll try not to knock the rocks out, but full of dried. This is my brother and I and my nephew just installed a new privacy fence behind their house, dug up 24 posts in all the soil is this. It's just rocks. It's dry. This plant received no water, no fertilizer, the lousy soil, no nourishment whatsoever, and the results are evident. It grew and then it died. In fact, I pulled this weed out of the yard four days ago, tossed it aside, and then yesterday I thought, I'll just use that in my illustration. Still has a little bit of green, but you can see what it does without the nutrients that was previously receiving. Whereas the begonias, I've watered at least once a week, if not more. I've taken care of it, and it's planted in very lush soil. And the difference is extremely evident. If we do not grow maturely, mature spiritually, we will never reap the abundant life that God has in store for us. Remember what we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? We are God's masterpiece. You think a masterpiece is something that we should shy away from? No, God wants us to flourish in our lives. <clears throat> Those who do press on to spiritual maturity, verse 7 tells us, the land that drinks in rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful for those for whom it is farmed will receive the blessings of God. But if we do not press on to spiritual maturity, in verse 8 it says, but the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and it is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. However, the illustration that the author uses to explain his warning that comes from verses 4 through 6, notice that the ground will be burned. It's cleared of the useless thorns and thistles, <clears throat> but it may not be completely obliterated. This is a key point, one of some controversy on what these verses mean. It is burnt to consume the worthless vegetation that does nothing, so they can be then revisioned, maybe planted with some fertilizer to plant spiritual maturity, to produce useful plants. That would support the notion that those who fall under this condition that leads that we're talking about here to not being able to, to repent, going beyond repentance, may not lose their salvation, but they'll lose the, lose the blessings of God. If we fall under this condition that leads to failure to thrive spiritually, we do not lose that salvation if we've truly accepted Christ, but instead we have no real eternal reward in the judgment seat of Christ. Sobering teaching but it's also mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, when Paul wrote about the church, such as we here at Putnam, and laying that foundation and building on that foundation, which was Jesus Christ, he says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show a person's work if it has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But, the work, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer a great loss. The builder will be saved, 
but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. So to bring it all together here, we see a warning in Hebrews chapter 6. The author discusses an extreme and hopefully a rare case of someone who's been truly born again, who's accepted Christ and believes in Christ, but has fallen completely away to such a degree that they've hardened themselves to the calls of repentance and not responded to God's loving call, the loving discipline, which we'll see when we get to Hebrews chapter 12. Instead of abiding in fellowship with Christ, the true vine and producing the fruit that we should in our lives, those who have fallen entirely out of fellowship with God despite God's repeated desire and prompting for them to return will wither away, as we're told in John 15, verses 1 through 6. Instead of bringing forth a bountiful vegetation that the Father produces, all will produce is thorns and thistles that are worth nothing. And this is not an imagined peril, but an actual, an extreme case is listed in, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 20 through 22 about Jezebel. Believers can stray so far away from the trail of spiritual progress that they no longer hear the voice of God guiding them, the calling them back to the right path. They ignore the markers pointing them saying, this is the trail, stay on it. They push away any the master sends to help guide them back to the right path. As a result, they've fallen away to such a degree that they'll face temporal judgment by God if they've not entirely rejected Christ and say, I reject Christ completely, as Judas did. The warning has serious consequences. Once again, the law of planting and harvesting is represented here. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6, let me read it from the New Living Translation. And he who then turned away from God, it is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross again and holding him up in public shame. If we don't get beyond the fundamentals, the basics of Christian life and saying, oh, I'm not sure if I'm saved, I'll get saved again. Or we never grow in our spiritual walk. It's like what Christ did for us is worthless. It's like nailing Christ to the cross over and over again. I understand that such a radical departure of a true believer should be a rare, extremely rare case. And that's probably why the author Hebrew uses the term for falling away in verse 6 that is used nowhere else in the New Testament. And it's the Greek term parapito. And this is why the author speaks of such people in a third-person plural. The Hebrew Christian has grown dull, lethargic, lazy, and numb to the things that continue our spiritual growth. But for them, there was still hope, building on that former progress and then pressing on to maturity. However, they, if they failed to reverse their course in their life at that point, while they still had an opportunity in the extreme case described by Parapito, from which there is no return, God says, enough. I've called you enough. You cannot repent any further. You'll lose any reward that you might have had here on earth. And it's a frightening possibility to do that, even as a believer. So what's the application of today's passage, chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 8? It's on the other side of your bulletin insert. <clears throat> the overall practical principles is practical principles for spiritual growth. 
And I pray that no one here that's here today or listening online will end up falling away to such an extreme case that there's no possibility or opportunity for repentance. However, the rare condition described in Hebrews 6, chapter, or verses 4 through 6, it doesn't occur suddenly. The warning of this entire passage describes a long process of continual dullness, of repeated backsliding, of failure to thrive. Our spiritual lives wither slowly away when we don't receive the proper nutrients and spiritual growth, just as these two planters represent up here. However, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, if we think we're standing strong, Paul tells us, if you think you are standing strong, be careful that you do not fall. No matter how closely we walk with God, we need to realize that one step off the right direction is one step closer to the edge of that cliff that we could fall over. That is remind us of three practical principles to maintain our spiritual progress. And there's are listed in your bulletin insert in this passage from today. It keep us from taking these missteps off the straight and narrow way that God wants us to be on. The first practical principle is we need to partake of solid spiritual food. Now, the term solid food is contrasted in verses 12 through 14 of chapter 5 between milk and solid food. The knife and fork food that we as adults should be partaking in rather than the bottle-fed milk of an infant. It food that requires chewing. It re food that requires, it takes time to digest. It provides nutrients essential for building a strong body. And in spiritual things, it's the more profound doctrines, the more serious devotion to right living, it's more serious dedication to the things of God. We must avoid the junk food of the weak, the shallow biblical teachings, that the watered-down doctrines of the faith, and the circus-style circus worship experiences. We need biblical studies to challenge us. We need a church community such as we have here at Putnam to encourage one another, to spur us on, to stay on that right track. And we can't expect to grow spiritually if we're not partaking solid spiritual food. The second practical principle is we need to maintain the practice of right living, or it's righteous living, but it means right living. Practice is needed to apply the word of God to our daily lives effectively. It goes beyond the hearing and understanding. It means to actually doing what we're told, as we're told in James. Doing what we're told in God's word. Not looking in the mirror and then forgetting what we've seen. And it's not a way you do it once or twice but it's a repeated and continual doing of what God wants us to do. Practice takes time and energy and commitment. It's not fun, necessarily. Sometimes it requires hard work. Not work for our salvation, but work to grow spiritually. We can't practice by attending church once a week and then forgetting our spiritual life the other six days of the week. Daily, we must participate in suitable spiritual activities. We must build muscles to strengthen our spiritual lives. We can't expect to grow spiritually if we're not maintaining a practice of right living. And the third practical principle today is we need to exhibit a trained sense of discernment. Discernment shows in people, as verse 14 tells us, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. That's a mark of true spiritual 
maturity. Taking the solid spiritual food, turning it into good habits through continual discipline practice will sharpen our ability to be able to distinguish between right and wrong, between true and false, between wise and foolish, between helpful and harmful. Spiritual maturity can respond to wisdom and skill in whatever comes our way, no matter what we face. If we're spiritually mature, we can face it with confidence. It almost becomes like second nature to us. How do we learn to ride a bike? We continually get back up after we fall down and ride it and ride it and ride it till it becomes second nature to us. It's like walking or breathing. We don't think about it, and that's how our spiritual life should become. The good news is, if we're diligent in partaking of the solid spiritual food and are eager to maintain the practice of right living, and if we continue these over the long haul, not just for short periods, then we can expect the spiritual grow spiritually and exhibit the trained sense of discernment. Once again, it's the laws of planting and harvesting. If we do this, then we'll see this. It's throughout the word of God. These principles given to us by God and applied to our lives by the Holy Spirit will keep us on the right path and to train us up in our spiritual progress. So my word of encouragement as we end today is, let us plant well. Let us nourish what we plant so that we can harvest abundantly. Next Sunday, we'll continue our series and our adventure through the book of Hebrews. Now, today was the second in 10 messages in the second section of Hebrews, which is Christ is superior as our high priest. And now that we've been thoroughly warned today through strong ambitions not to fall away, but to grow spiritually, next week we'll learn the valuable lessons that we we're encouraged today and receive the good news of obedience in a message that's a little bit brighter, and it's called The Brighter Side. You won't want to miss it. So please read Hebrews chapter, nine verses, or chapter 6, verses 9 through 20 in preparation for next week's message. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you have included this passage in your word. It's somewhat difficult for us, Father, but we also know, Father, that if we practice these principles that we went over today, we partake in solid spiritual food, we maintain right living, and we exhibit trained sense of discernment, Father, that we will grow spiritually, that we will be solid, and we will be able to tell others of Christ is our vocation, Father, to build your kingdom. We'll be well equipped to do so. Just pray you'll give us the strength to do so, Father. We know it's by your will. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, Listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, 
reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.